another episode of Ruby for All. Julie, what is up? The sun's out today. Is Finally. it? Finally, yes. It's been raining here. We sent the kids to school without their rain jackets and it ended up raining a lot. Their backpacks got wet, but it's nice and sunny right now and I'm looking forward to going outside. Nice. I remember when I was in college, I used to have to wrap plastic bags around like my backpack and like around my like feet because I biked to school. Whenever it was raining, it was always like a, a whole thing. <laughs> you can bike in the rain like that? Yeah. I mean, it's not fun. Let me be very clear. It sucks. <laughs> it's cold. It's not fun whatsoever. But yeah, I can totally do it. Skateboard wow. in it too. I don't know that I can do any of that. Yeah, it's not preferable. The only rain childhood memory is walking around with an umbrella and then like it gets so windy, it flips your umbrella upside down. And then I feel all embarrassed that it's done that because I have to stand there trying to fix it. I used to have a Crayola umbrella. That's all I remember from childhood rain. That's cute. Was it like a rainbow colored one or? Yeah, like a crayon. Cool. Well, today we're going to talk about onboarding onto new teams. I think you've got some stuff going on. You want to catch everyone up with what's going on? Yeah, but I forgot to ask what was up with you. What was up with me? It's been a difficult few weeks for me. I've had some stuff happen personally that I'm working through, but still here, still pressing on. Sorry to hear that. Thank you. Hoping it passes quickly me too. for you. Me too. What's up with you, your new team? There's been a couple changes at work, and maybe we can talk about Shape Up a little bit because... My old team, which is the consumer team, I moved from a consumer team to a platform team. And my old team on the consumer side, we're switching from two-week sprints to this new process called ShapeUp. And I believe you're very familiar with that because you use that at work. And we may have talked about it previously on the podcast, but I don't really remember. Mind sharing how that works for you and what it is? So ShapeUp is a product or project management, I'm not really sure which is which, but product or slash project management philosophy that came out of Basecamp. And if you use Basecamp for project management, then it like kind of ties in very well with some of the things they have in there, like hill charts. I don't want to go through and explain all of ShapeUp because I don't really think I can. It's much different than Agile, which is something that I had been used to doing before, which we've talked about on the podcast before. But instead of doing like a two-week sprint and then moving on to the next two-week sprint, the Basecamp thing is much more focused on cycles, like a six-week cycle. We don't necessarily follow it to that degree necessarily, but it's a much more project-focused workflow versus like a two-week-at-a-time workflow or whatever your agile sprints are. Do you stick to the six weeks or like what if you don't finish your feature in the six weeks, what happens? We don't really do the six week thing. For us, it's more so like the process of like, you start shaping like what you want the feature to be. So let's take a feature, I guess. Let's say you're adding a calendar feature because Hey just released a calendar feature, right? The first part of Shape Up is like you spend time shaping what the feature will be, not doing like specific wireframes, but doing very rough sketches setting boundaries and then you start looking for like your risks and then you kind of culminate all of that into like a pitch and there's like a few specific aspects of like a shape up pitch that I don't really remember but once you're done doing that you kind of have like a bet instead of doing like a backlog you're betting that this will take six weeks and then you have check on your existing products like looking into new products there's like a cleanup part of all of this and you I think kind of cement down like the timetable that you want and the next part is 
the building part of it. Tracking tasks, organizing by structure, not by person, for instance. A few different things like that. A layered cake, I think, is a concept that they talk about. I'm kind of reading the shape of appendices, but it's much more focused on like building full features instead of focusing on sprints. Are engineers involved in the shaping up embedding or are these leads? It would depend on where you work. I think for us, we do. I think for us, the kind of the way we work is our CEO is also kind of like our product person and along with our designer and they kind of work with the lead team leads to, you know, figure out what we want to do, figure out who wants to work on what or who's going to work on what. And then they create like a timetable of like, okay, we want to get these projects done in like the first quarter or the second quarter or something like that. And the engineers at Podia specifically are involved in setting the timetable. We're not a very deadline driven team, which is really nice. We definitely have a big say in like, okay, yeah, we can get it done in like this amount of time. This is the date we're shooting for. But Podia is really good about being like, things change. We understand that things change, you know, like scope increases or products get more complicated or you run into things that you don't expect. So we're definitely okay with the timeline changing if needed. And does everybody on the team start their cycle at the same time or since sometimes different features? Okay, so it's more like a project or feature specific. Yes. Once you're done, do you work with your partner or team on anything together or do you switch around? We usually switch. Right now I'm working on a project with someone and we're about to switch off. Like it just so happens that this project we're working on is really big. It's a really big feature. So we released it to a beta group of users last week. So last week we had a specific list of users and we're like, these users are going to get added. We use Flipper for feature flags and for feature gating these things. So Basically, we got like a list of users and we're like, okay, so we added them all in Flipper. Like these users now have the capability to access these features. There was still a few more things in the project we had to do. We're not completely finished, but it was at the point where we were ready to release the beta to our beta users. So I think this week we let in another group of beta users and we're still working on like some of the finishing touches. One more little feature that we have to get out. I think I recall reading that there was a cooldown period. Do you implement that or do you have a cooldown period? We kind of do. We don't call it that, but we kind of do it. So I think in ShapeUp specifically, it's like where you're free to work on whatever you want, but we don't really do that. What we kind of do is instead we have like a kind of cooldown period where you're watching like the bug tracker, watching Honey Badger to make sure that there's like no critical errors coming through. We're fixing up little things that our beta users are finding if they are finding anything this project that we're doing right now, actually, it hasn't really had that much bugs, which I'm very happy about. But so our cooldown isn't necessarily like no scheduled work. It's more like kind of hammer out the final details of the project, start wrapping things up. We do like a post at the end of the project to kind of summarize everything and then nailing little things out of the backlog, like maybe little UI things that you didn't get to or maybe some refactoring. I like to put things that like, I would like to refactor this, but I don't have the time right now. I like to put those kind of in a list in Basecamp and maybe at the end of the project, do some of those. Cool. There's this balance that we need to have when creating new features of trying to ship things quickly, but also making sure that we don't accumulate tech debt or introduce maybe bad code or code that you would later regret. I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on that and if the shape up process helps with that at all. I'm not sure if shape up 
helps with that specifically. So balancing tech debt, you're always going to have tech debt, right? Every new line of code is tech debt in a way. And there's nothing really you can do to fight against technical debt. The only thing you can really do is to stay on top of it. We do that by having, like we do support weeks. So like for one week, if you and I were project partners, instead of working on the project that week, we would work on the support tickets. And I really like that versus some systems I've done in the past where it's like a day. We're like, all right, Julie and Andrew, stop everything you're doing for today. And now you're going to just fix tickets. And like, you can imagine like there's context in these tickets, like the tickets might be large or small and like, it's hard to do a lot of that in a single day. So I like what Podia does by having it in a week. So like things like that help with tech debt. I don't know if ShapeUp specifically helps with it. I think what ShapeUp helps you do is not waste time on features that your users aren't going to benefit from as much or, oh yeah, we thought people would use this or maybe we, you know, we thought we were building this correctly, but kind of spending more time to make sure it's the right feature and building it the right way. And not be so focused on the deadline, but because like, okay, in this amount of time, like we're projected that we can hit this deadline. So not focusing on like a two week cycle that has a lot of planning overhead that you don't think about and has a lot of like when things come up that may take a week to sort out, two week sprints don't account for that. So a longer cycle gives you more time to prevent tech debt from getting in from the first place and like making more time to decide like on doing a better feature or not feeling like you have to shove in something and have it be the right or the wrong solution. So like during this project, there were multiple times where I was like, we need to stop everything we're doing because the way we're building this is not right. It might work, but in the long run, it's going to cost us. And so like, let's take a step back. Let's go back to the drawing board or let's bring in someone else who's got some context around this part of the code and let's do it correctly. So I think ShapeUp kind of gives you more ability to write the code correctly and to have less tech debt But at the end of the day, there's really nothing you can do to prevent any tech debt. Hi there, Julie here. I would like to take a moment to thank GoRails for sponsoring this episode. When I was first starting out, I struggled with finding up-to-date content to help me level up. Then I learned about GoRails. Not only does GoRails provide new screencasts weekly, they also have two fantastic instructors that break down complex topics into digestible chunks. On top of that, I really appreciate when they explain the whys behind the subject. One of my favorite walkthroughs is creating your first Ruby gem from scratch. What a great way to learn by stripping down to just the basics. If you care about leveling up as a Ruby engineer, you can't go wrong with GoRails. Check it out at GoRails.com. How do you like the shape of process over Agile? I like that there's more time in it because like I said, during two-week sprints, things come up and like, Pointing stories, which is something that you do in Agile a lot more, which is this is kind of a contrast to, is a very hard thing to do and it's almost impossible to get it right. So I feel like I have more time to do things right. And if I get stuck on something, it's not the end of the world. And that there's more people involved too. Like we're working with our designer to maybe edit the designs. Like we meet weekly with our designer and we're like, okay, like these are the problems we're having. What do you think about this? We're having trouble implementing this design and then working with them directly to kind of come up with a better solution versus being handed a mock-up and be like, yeah, build this and it not being a discussion and it just being like, yeah, you just need to make this happen. So I feel like it gives the developers more control to a degree and at minimum is like a less stressful experience. Usually the projects are more planned out. There's less like questions involved. And if there are, you kind of do those in the beginning of the cycle. So 
I don't feel like I have to make as many trade-offs by doing shape up. Well, I look forward to having the teams implement that at work. But I did talk about how I transitioned into a different team. So I'm moving over to a platform team. My role is really different now. So I just feel like we're more supporting than building features. And so we're not following ShapeUp product, project management system. So we're sticking with two-week sprints. But I kind of wanted to share a bit about, I guess, what it's like in my perspective to go to a new team and kind of compare it to how it was like when I moved to a new team two years ago when I was much newer. So I started at Code Academy two and a half years ago and about four months in, I switched teams. But I think at that point, I was so new that when I switched teams, I felt like, oh, I'm still very junior. And I had like an excuse to say like, I don't know everything. And when I, I switched to the new team, I didn't really feel like it affected me very much. I just felt like, okay, it's, it's kind of like starting this new job again. And I was so fresh for months previously that I basically just did the same thing. But fast forward to two years and I'm switching to a new team and I'm finding that it's been a, a lot more challenging than I think I remembered. One of the challenges is I have this internal pressure on myself to ramp up quickly because I feel like, okay, I have a couple of years under my belt. I feel like I can't just ask any all sorts of silly questions. I feel like I have this expectation that I should know more. I don't think that feeling will ever go away, by the way. Like every time I switch teams, I feel that. But I'm wondering for you, is it strictly self-imposed? Is anyone telling you like, hey, you're not ramping up fast enough? Or is it just a feeling that you have? I feel like I like over speak to my, I'm so sorry, I'm not ramping fast enough to the team and like the team. And I'm not exactly saying it in a team meeting or anything. I might talk to individual people and everybody has said like, you're going into a brand new code base. There's processes that you need to relearn. There's no expectation for me to just start pounding out tickets. And I think it's more of just a, I need to give myself grace and know that I'm learning right now and that it's okay. Was there any sort of onboarding process? Well, the one difference between my old team and this team is we paired a lot on my old team, but it wasn't scheduled. And on this team, I have weekly pairings with most of my teammates. And so I would consider that being like a really great way to onboard. And I hope to continue these pairing sessions. Like I don't think that they should stop for any reason, I still even keep my old pairing sessions that I've scheduled from when I was on the other team. So the onboarding was kind of a onboarding by pairing. Yeah, I would say that this new team, there's a lot that they cover. So it's kind of challenging. I think for me, having a focus maybe could help if I maybe one day focus on this particular part of the code base or this particular service and then switch to another. I tend to like when there's a lot of things, I'll like be like, oh, I want to do this. Oh, but then I also want to do that. And then I want to do this. And then I end up not doing any of it. I think I've talked about this, but one thing that Podia did really well during onboarding was have 
you pretend like you're a user of the application and then go through all these different processes. And that felt like a great way for me to understand where different parts of the app were. So like, I think the hardest part of you get a new ticket on a new app, you're like, well, where even is this? Where's this code? Where's this feature? How do I get to this page? And doing that process really helped me eliminate some of that time searching because like, okay, this is in the course publication process of our code base. I at minimum know where that screen is. And by knowing where that screen is, I can find that path. I can find that controller. I can eventually find that logic. Yeah, I can just, my gears are turning as you're saying that there's a lot of services that we have that they're talking to each other and learning that right now where like, okay, where does the line end? It's also the more complex part of our code at work. That can be difficult. How do the services talk to each other? Does one service just send an HTTP request to the other service or using a PubSub service like Kafka? How does app A talk to app B or service A? Yeah, it's an HTTP, an API. I don't know okay. what that other thing that you mentioned is, Kafka. PubSub, Kafka. I was hoping you didn't. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> that would make this process way more complicated. So yeah, okay. So I was just wondering like how do they, so they talk just normal HTTP. So you can almost make a graph, I guess. Mm, in a way. Yeah. Or yeah, something like that. I think in pictures. So whenever I'm like, how do these services go? I like will open up Obsidian or like a graphing software and like kind of draw it out. Like, okay, this is, sends this message to this endpoint and of this app. If I can see the lines, it kind of helps a little bit. That's a really good point. I know there's some visual type illustration things, but it's very high level and it's like of everything. And I think right. I need the specific like messages they're sending to each other. I think that would really help. So I think this is a good exercise for me to work on when I get back. Yeah, that's a way that I'll try to learn it. Just looking at the requests that are going through, like, okay, it's sending this to this controller and it came from this location. And that's how I started building like a map. So yeah, that might be helpful. So what examples? else? Yeah, so... Doing a service diagram, kind of like what you're talking about, where you have all these services, is a great way to do it. At one of my old jobs, we had a bunch of services, and I had a graph basically of like, okay, and we were using Kafka. So we were using like a special messaging service thing to do it. And so I'd be like, all right, so service A is right here. And then I would like kind of map off some controllers. And then I would draw like a line to the other controller of the other service with the message name and maybe some details about the message. And so slowly but surely you start building up like a graph of like, okay, service A sends this message to service B. And when service B receives that message, it sends it to service C and service D. And so you kind of kind of start building up like a visual graph of like, okay, this is the way how these messages are sent across. If you're like most devs, too much of your time gets sucked up with downtime issues, troubleshooting, and error tracking. How can you spend more time shipping code and less time putting out fires? Honey Badger is how. It's a suite of monitoring tools specifically for devs. It's the only system that combines error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and cron and heartbeat monitoring into a clean, fast interface. You won't know if Honey Badger will really save you time and trouble until you see how it works in your toolchain. With two lines of code and five minutes, you can see for yourself. Honey Badger automatically hooks into popular web frameworks, job systems, authentication libraries, and front-end JavaScript. Imagine fixing errors before your users can even report them. Five minutes of your time with the free trial is all it takes to see if it will work for you. It just might be the best five minutes you've spent in a while. Check out honeybadger.io. 
What are some issues you're kind of finding as you're onboarding on this new team maybe? I think another challenging part is this team has some history. So they've been together for a couple of years and I'm kind of new, even though I have specific people I've been pairing on this team for also maybe almost a couple of years. It's not really the same. Maybe there might be some inside jokes that I have yet to ramp up on or they know so much about each other and I'm kind of like the new kid at school. And for somebody who's not very outgoing or more introverted, it can be very challenging. And especially when it's remote too. Yeah, I totally get that. I've had teams like that. I worked at a company where most of the team was offsite, but then a few of us were in the office. And so that office group, like we had inside jokes, we had all these things, like we were tight. So whenever our outside members from the team would come into the office, it was like, oh yeah, we have all these inside jokes. It's like not trying to make the other person feel ostracized anyway. That can be challenging. It's something that you have to like purposely think about and yeah. like bring that new person onto these inside jokes. They've been doing a pretty good job of ramping me up on that. And also I think the one-on-one pairing sessions have really helped with that as well. I think for me personally, it'll just take some time to feel, it's just hard, right? Like I was on my last team for two years and I don't have that same groove as I did before. And these are different people. This is camaraderie, right? When you're in the trenches with someone, let's say at 2 a.m. on like a site takedown issue, like you build like camaraderie. You can't just rebuild that without those trying experiences, I think. I'm sorry that you had to deal with the problem at 2 a.m. I haven't had to deal with that yet. So it is what it is. <laughs> Doesn't happen often, which is nice. But that's the one that came to my mind the first because I was like, you know, I felt like in that moment, I built a lot of camaraderie with the people that were up as well trying to fix it. And that's not really something you can just fabricate, right? It just kind of has to happen naturally. Do you feel like you are more of the outgoing extroverted type or the other? I am an introvert by nature, but working with me, you might not get that sense because I am very much a guns blazing cowboy coder. Like I speak my mind, I don't hold back and I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. So you may not get even the if sense you're new. That much more like, yeah, even if I'm new, because like to me, and I told this to someone the other day, I was like, when you hire me, you already have a sense that I'm already like that. I've had this behavior for a while and I keep it like consistent. So it's like, you should know when you hire me that like, I'm going to speak my mind and that I am like this and that I'm not going to hold back. And if that's going to be a problem, it's going to be a problem, right? Because if I can't tell my manager to his face that I think what his idea isn't very good for these X, Y, Z reasons and him listen to me and either refute or not like my ideas, like then I can't, do my job effectively. I don't care if you take what I'm saying and do it. That's not my job. My job is to like, as an engineer, to tell you how I feel about the certain directions or to give, I'm like, I feel like if we do this road, we're gonna have XYZ problems down the road and to worry about the architecture of the application, things like that. And if you don't listen to me, that's your problem. But as long as I feel like you at least heard what I said and you were like, well, no, we still wanna do it. Like, that's fine. So yeah, I feel like I've been like that for a long time and I'm not going to change. So I don't at this point, you kind of know it going into it. Yeah, I think it's important to have that person. I maybe have shared this before, but I don't like conflict. I know that I need to get better at it. But also 
the asking questions, I have gotten so much better about just asking questions. And maybe some people might not like maybe our listeners who don't know past me, maybe don't know that I had trouble asking questions and I might spend time working on something for a long time before I like ask questions or reach out for help. And that's just wasting my time. So throughout this podcast, like I feel like I've gotten so much better about asking questions and I'm able to do that more so even on a new team and being the new person. As a senior engineer, I want you to be asking questions. It's also the duty of your senior engineers to protect the people asking questions, right? I don't hold a position of leadership at Podio, right? I'm not a manager. I'm just a senior developer. But if I saw someone speaking, which would never happen at Podio, right? So this is not even a great example. But if I were to see someone at Podio talking a certain way or answering a certain way that wasn't, you know, encouraging to someone asking questions, like I would come down on that person regardless of where they were in the chain. Because that's like kind of going back to said, like that's who I am. So I feel like it's also the duty of the senior engineers to make sure that there is a safe place to ask questions, right? Regardless of quote unquote, how stupid they are. At the end of the day, it has nothing to do with intelligence that like you just don't know, right? So what's the fastest way to find out? Probably that's by asking so questions. Yeah, that's so interesting how you're framing that because even at my work, Everybody is so supportive. So where are we getting this idea that like we're so afraid to ask questions? Like we're afraid. (laughs) I don't know because you're right. I feel like I can ask any question at work and I don't feel like anyone's going to make me feel stupid. And it sounds like you kind of feel the same way, but you still have like some hesitation towards it. I feel like that's just a part of becoming a better engineer. Like I feel like I should know this, but I don't. And I'm a little embarrassed, but I don't think there's anything to be embarrassed about because like I have to look up stuff all the time. I, yeah, I feel like it's just kind of how you look at it. And I feel like as long as the team is centered around this idea of we like questions, then the culture should be okay. And I think it is super helpful when the seniors and managers or higher ups ask those same questions. Even if you know what the question is, just putting it out there makes it a lot easier for the rest of us to do so. I agree. Knowing that your manager is not beyond asking questions is definitely empowering to you as the employee. Anything else about joining your team? No, it's been an adventure. I'm looking forward to connecting even more with my new team. I still miss my old team a lot, but since I'm not switching companies, I still have a lot of access to them. So that's good. Right. That, that is good. And I've written about this before, but it's like, just because someone leaves the company doesn't mean they're lost forever. Like I still meet weekly with my very first manager. Like I met with him today and we've been doing that for years and years. So just because you move teams doesn't mean a relationship has to end. So it doesn't have to be a sad thing. That's true. I still keep in contact with quite a few folks and we had Josh, I believe, guest twice Mm -hmm. on the show and he no longer works at CodeCamry, so... I think those keeping those relationships are important, right? Because those are the relationships that'll help you find new jobs later and things like that. Not just new jobs, but if they're your friend, make that a priority. I think especially as we're all remote, it can be easy to let some of those things go by the wayside. But like as humans, we need people, we need friends. So being mindful about those relationships and keeping them alive is, I think, important. So good on you for continuing to do that. Well, I think that's kind of it for today. I... Wish you nothing but luck on your new adventure. I know you're going to kill it. So we'll have to check back in a few months and see how you're feeling. Thanks. And I hope you're feeling better soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for showing up today. Yeah. (laughs) 
No problem. <laughs> all right, everyone. We'll catch you back here next week. Another episode of Rudy for All. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>